welcome to Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From Wellington, New Zealand, I'm Dave Wood, and joining me from Devon, England, is Dave Knott. How are you? I'm all, I'm all right, yeah. Just, yeah, that video was good. <laughs> just, just finished watching it. Yeah. Certainly got me thinking, because I'm feeling the uh, the lack of speed on my MacBook Pro when I'm at home. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sort of looking at uh, that video where he's, he's taking, what is it, a, calls it a nutcracker, but I think that's just his name for it, isn't it? Yeah, um, just in case this makes it into the show, I suppose we should give a little bit of background. It's um, a Snazzy Labs video um, where he takes an Intel NUC and pitches it against a base model Mac Mini. And, yep. and I think the point is, is that, what is the Mac Mini? What does that start at? 799, isn't it? Yeah. And the NUC that he chose um, starts at 349 and you bring your own RAM and storage, but you can get all that inside of $100 easily. So 350 versus 799 and <laughs> the point of the video is, is that actually the NUC is as good, sometimes better than the Mini, which is... Yeah. Uh, Makes for slightly uncomfortable watching, I guess, if you're, yeah, <laughs> having just bought, a, you know, if you've just bought a Mac Mini, it's a bit like, oh dear. But yeah, it's in- interesting though, isn't it? It is. I was looking from a, a point of view of, um, would this be, if I ran a Hackintosh, would it be a cheaper sort of upgrade for a, a bit of temporary power at home? Uh, could be. And then, yeah, I mean, it could be a route. Uh, my, my only problem with it would be that, I would actually want a proper Mac as soon as possible. And so it would kind of be almost a, a waste of money, even if I resold it on, you know, within six months or something. And, 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 you know, by the time we're sort of looking at new MacBook Pros or something like that. Uh, so I sort of have reservations. I think I'd probably sooner just kind of limp along with this, this machine being slow in some ways, uh, because then, you know, I'm holding fire on spending any cash. And and I can just sort of wait, wait and see what the new machines are going to be like. Uh, yeah. but definitely getting tempted. Definitely getting tempted by options of a bit more power. Uh, just my compile times on this machine are, uh, are quite slow, especially compared to the machine I use in work. So yeah, so having you've some got power a, at home would be good. Good. It's a twenty thirteen MacBook Pro that you've got. Yeah, but it's also a dual core. Inch. Dual core, um, let's have a look. So it is a dual core i5, 2.4 gigahertz, 8 gig of RAM. Right, okay. Yeah, you're going to start feeling that, aren't you? Has it got an SSD in it? Yeah, 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 it's got an SSD in it. Um, so that's that's not an issue, that's good. And that's kind of definitely kept it healthy for quite a while. Yeah. Um you know, if I wasn't compiling uh, reasonably big projects now with um, with plenty of Swift code inside of them, then it would probably be fine, actually, um, especially without me using Interface Builder in my apps, you know, and everything's just uh, a view onto code. If it was all Objective-C still, it would probably be absolutely fine. There's, there's definitely a nudge there for um, the, the compile times and that end of stuff. Uh, but... You know, this is where I am now, and it's it's not quite serving my my immediate purposes. That's uh, um, the cool thing about the new range of 
MacBooks slash iMacs is that you know six core now is fairly standard, isn't it? Yeah. Once you get into yeah. the fifteen inches and you know more or less any other iMac, um, and I guess that's going to help a lot when it comes to the multi-core stuff, which I would assume, um, you know, having multi-core, having more cores would help in terms of Swift compilation. I would guess. Um, yep. Although I don't actually know that for sure. I'm just assuming more cores equals better. I, I assume Xcode is optimized for it. I, I hope it is. But <laughs> more cores and a a, a higher burst clock rates as it were um all of that combined will will make xcode a happier beast uh, <laughs> <laughs> and i think it's just a case of i, I would in an ideal world be on like a, a you know two or three year upgrade cycle i guess and and you know it being largely a home machine it's just not been a case of being a priority to to upgrade it in that way especially not with us moving yeah so you know I, i'm kind of two cycles out as it were from from where i would normally like to be for sort of running a, a machine uh, for development and yeah. if i do upgrade if, and move on and everything else um, i'm sure my kids will be very happy <laughs> well yeah sort of, <laughs> a macbook you know, pro like, floating around the house is going to be good news for them right <laughs> exactly and it runs it runs minecraft basically all right you know the that they, they don't need the best of graphics for what they do there with that so as as a hand-me-down machine um it, it'll be very well appreciated mm, um, yeah and it, it already is co-opted actually when um when i'm not working on it they've got their own accounts and everything on the machine and it's all set up for them to go uh so that they can play against each other because uh, obviously that needs two machines on the go in the house so uh <laughs> i'm sure they'll be happy to uh to evict me from it later on in the year and i'll be happy to move on so no doubt yeah. <laughs> it's weird though like obviously having sold my 5k imac i'm now back on my MacBook pro from 2010 and yep. I, I, it doesn't seem that bad it's kind of i expected it to be way worse when i was using it you know if, what, coming from like my daily machine being an imac coming back to a to an, uh, a MacBook Pro that's from 2010, I was expecting it to be you know, a bit of a bumpy landing, but it's not that bad. And it's almost, I mean, obviously I'm going to upgrade when they bring out the new thing, but it kind of gives me pause and makes me think, do I actually need like this really fast thing? Because I'm making do, and it's not like I'm suffering. I've, I've upgraded an SSD inside of it. So it's, yeah, that's uh, given it a longer tail as it were. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem that bad. I mean, Xcode is, is Xcode is fine with the with kind of the level of projects I'm writing. Um, I mean, they're not huge projects, and I'm trying to keep interface builder slash storyboards to an absolute minimum. And the only thing I'm struggling with a little bit is the simulator. Yeah, um, that seems to have ever since uh, when was it? Basically, the last kind of version of xcode um that came out when like the iphone 10r simulator and you know the 10s max came out yeah up- upgrade into that version then it was like oh okay this is this is a bit slow to the point where you know probably single digit frames per second if you try and do any like scrolling in a you know table view or something like that right um although it is worth mentioning that i've had to disable my dedicated gpu so i'm just running off like the little rubbish intel 
baked in yeah, GPU. Kill it. So yeah. that's probably where that perform. If, if my GPU is in good working order, it'd probably be okay. I'm guessing. It probably would. Um, that's just interesting. I, I kind of I see reasonable use in the simulator still on uh, on my 2013. Uh, but it, it is starting to slow down with the latest version of Xcode. And one mm. thing I, I can do on my much faster machine at work is I can run multiple simulators as well. Right. Uh, and I can't do that on the 2013 really without it kind of just crawling. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would be out of the question for me. It has to be one at a time. Yeah, no yeah. doubt about it. <laughs> yeah. So there's a whole other sort of side of using Xcode there that you are missing out on now because of the, the speed of your machine. And when you upgrade, you know, you'll be able to to do all those things. And, and that'll be cool. You know, Brave New World sort of thing with it, with it all. Yeah. Uh, and also I've lost it, my retina as well. Yeah. So when it comes to running retina simulators on a non-retina screen, sometimes you know, like one line pixel borders can just vanish. Yes. Um, yes which is a bit, bit of a problem. Um, I suppose the biggest issue is that as of uh, Mojave, I'm cut off now from any future OSs. I can't get Mojave. I'm stuck on. Right. I can't, I can't remember which one the one before Mojave is, but I'm stuck on that. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's likely to be problematic within the next few months in terms of Xguide. Yeah. Yes, I don't know when, because obviously the latest version of Xcode runs on the OS I'm on now. I've got to find out which version it is. It's quite embarrassing that I don't know. Uh, I think we're on Sierra. two now. Hi Sierra. That's what I'm running on this at the moment. So, yeah, Xcode, the latest version runs on Hi Sierra. But like you say, June could tell a very different story, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of the nudge that, you know, Apple are giving me the nudge basically saying time's running out buddy you gotta gotta do something so yeah it ties into where you're at though so you've sold your um your imac you've got kind of some cash put to one side for when the new machines are announced so at that point hopefully that coincides with new machines and and if not probably not for very long yeah so yeah you'll be good to go my worry is is that they're going to come out and be like, and the new 16-inch MacBook Pro is starting at thirty five ninety nine, and I'll be like, damn it, I don't have enough. <laughs> I've sold all my stuff and I still don't have enough. Um, you only need one kidney, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, I can, there'll be other options if that were the case. I, you know, I was, until the, the rumours hit about the 16-inch that's possibly coming, I was, you know, dead set on a 2018 15-inch, so that option's still going to be there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd, but I can't really buy something now knowing what I know now about the possible 16-inch because that's, uh, yeah, that's going to be cool when that comes out. I can't wait. It's funny, I, I keep forgetting. Yeah. Like yeah. I said to you last night on Slack that um, I've forgotten that I sold my iMac. Like, I, I mean, that's how little I used it. Is I just, I've just kind of not even realised it's gone. So it's definitely the right decision in that sense. Um, but equally, I forget that actually the money that I made from the iMac and all the other things I sold is now sat there. You know, it's in a separate bank account away from all of my bills, accounts and stuff like that. So the general churn of life and expenses doesn't affect the money that's been put aside for this MacBook. Yeah. Um, and again, I just kind of forgot about that. Anyway. I mean, obviously I knew that I had it, but it wasn't at the front of my mind. And I think I just saw like a YouTube video about, you know, rumours for the new 2019 16-inch MacBook Pro. And I was like, oh yeah, 
yeah, that's coming out. That's going to be really great. And I can probably, hopefully, assuming it's not outrageously expensive, buy it <laughs> on day one or very soon afterwards. I mean, I know it will happen. They'll announce it. And even if it's the right amount of money so I can jump on it straight away, I'll probably, you know, like chicken out, first of all. <laughs> it's probably usually my style. Um, I'll wait for all the reviews. I'll wait for, you know, the reaction and the commentary and, and then make a decision on what to do probably. So I, it may not be day one, but yeah. it'll be... I should be pretty quick off the off the start line, I think. Just got to wait for WWDC, I guess, because that's probably when they're going to announce it, if I had to guess. I'd, I'd say so now. It kind of feels like, well, they might as well, right? There's this sort of an element of that'll be um, a big event in one way or another and all aimed around developers and people who are most likely to use the pro machines. So it kind of yeah. fits that... If we're going to have hardware, it should be announced there. It's creeping up on us, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, what's it now? The 7th of April as we sit here. So yeah, it won't in be a long couple, now. In a, in a couple of months, the week of Dub Dub will be almost over, if you think of it like that. Yeah. May, June. Yeah, and gone. I remember this point last year where it sort of felt like everything was quiet, everything was quiet, and then all of a sudden it was like rumour here, a rumour there, and everything just accelerated. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's fairly quiet on the news front, I would say, or, or sort of on the leaks front so far. Um, I mean, we still don't have a clue what this Mac Pro is going to be. No, um, I'm kind of surprised that you know we haven't had a little tidbit of, of something like you know, even if it's like a a small part that goes into it that's from the you know the supply chain or something like that. Um, even if it's like a fan or something really inconsequential that we can all be like, oh, that must mean it's going to be like this and get it all completely wrong and have the big reveal and realise how wrong we were. But it's been remarkably quiet, especially that hardware is kind of part of the conversation, or it seems that way anyway. We've got these MacBook rumours and we know that the Mac Pro is a 2019 product. So it would make... That's got to be a WWDC sneak peek at the very least, surely. If if it's not announced if there's no sneak peek or anything at wwdc then i'm afraid so i kind of feel like this is going to be getting the air power treatment that's that's my sort of gut feel here yeah or maybe the other thing is that they will you know say nothing during the keynote and then you know matthew panzerino will get a special invite out to some lab in their campus and they'll have a sit down (laughs) with phil schiller and whoever and, and talk about it and say oh you know it's coming in the fall or something like that but if it's not ready to see anything of it yeah maybe they'll they'll treat it like that but i, I hope there's a an understanding from apple's side that you know it's been two years now since that initial kind of um the meeting with all of the the bloggers and everybody about the mac pro so then they kind of do need to say something about it otherwise yeah that there are all these sort of Mac fans out there and devs and other people who aspire to want to own these machines who are just going to sort of be like, oh, okay, really? Yeah. I don't believe this is a thing. Um, so I don't, I don't want to be negative about it. I want to be remain hopeful because <laughs> I, I quite like the idea of there being a machine in that class, yeah, even with <laughs> the, the, the iMac Pro existing and all of that. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I'm really curious as to what modular might mean to today's apple because Mm. today's apple doesn't really believe in 
anything being modular. You know, it's almost a concession that the uh, the new Mac Minis uh, from from last year are able to have RAM upgrades. You know, yeah. because the machines just before them, they'd started soldering the RAM down to the board again, just like they do on the uh, on the MacBooks. So, yeah, a, a modular machine kind of feels at odds with the way Apple is today. So I'm very curious to sort of see where that ends up and what that is. It is, but then, you know, the way everything else is with Apple perhaps gives the Mac Pro the freedom to be its own thing in that all the other ranges of products uh, are kind of sorted. If, if you think about it, and you know, thinness and lightness is the priority, and yeah, like you say, solder the memory down, solder the GPU down, solder the CPU down, solder the SSD, solder everything down, just this one perfect little board that slots into this really thin enclosure of a MacBook. Yeah. Um, maybe all that gives the Mac Pro the permission to be something completely different. And it makes me think that they must be up to something that's going to be a bit out there and a bit different purely because, I mean, when they, when was it? April 2017, almost two years ago, exactly, wasn't it? That they yep. had had the round table to say, we're very sorry, there is a new Mac Pro coming, honestly, and we're working on it and we have been working on it. So let's just say for argument's sake, they've been working on it for six months before that announcement. So we're now two and a half years in. It's going to be three years probably by the time we see anything in terms of, you know, at least three years until we can like get a, a Mac Pro shipped to your house. Yeah. It makes me think if it's not just like a cheese grater version two with, you know, big case, lots of airflow, PCIe slots for graphics cards, RAM slots for RAM, you know, basically just like a, a PC. Um, surely they could have done that in less time than what it's taken so far so to me that's almost like well, they must be doing something that's different that's apple in some way um yeah i don't know would it take three years to ship a cheese grater version two just using like intel parts and ecc ram and ssds that are reasonably off the shelf and i don't know i don't know i, I mean thinking about it it probably means that they, they've had to spin up a brand new team as well because you know, people from back when with the cheese grater will have moved on into other parts of Apple and, and potentially other companies or retirement or whatever. So, yeah, there might be some ramp up time there. You know, you, you're talking about starting from scratch, whatever the the machine is, whether it's that sort of a machine or something fantastically different. So, yeah, maybe, maybe the ramp up is is along the lines of two to three years. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it might just be me being a bit naive, really, as to how long a big machine like Apple takes to uh, spin up. But then I think you quite often hear Apple is just like a, a startup, but just big, in that they kind of can operate quickly. But yeah, I I would be interested to know. I'm so curious to see what it is. If it is just like a cheese grater, it'd be quite fascinating just to be like, okay, so it took you three years to do a fairly <laughs> standard-ish tower. <laughs> you know? Because I think they used to say about IBM, like in the 70s or the 80s, that it would take, someone did a study, I think it would take like, it was either three or four years for IBM to ship an empty box. Right. Just with the layers of like bureaucracy and management and planning and Sign approvals. And all of that. Yeah. yeah, three years to ship an empty box. Um, so may, maybe, you know, maybe I am underestimating what it what it takes just to do something like a cheese grater version two. 
But and it, and it depends as well because they they may have decided that yeah we're going to do this, but it's not going to take people who are full time on other projects a hundred percent out of those projects, and and that might be part of it as well. You know they'll have some people who are dedicated resource, but maybe there's other people who are blended with with other sides of uh, of the operation. You know they, they could have people who are primarily involved in the iMac Pro, for example who are then kind of seconded to, to Mac Pro development as and when. So it, it might just be that it's it's to do with uh, how they've chosen to to put the resource into the effort as well. Yeah. Yeah, you never know. I kind of want to see the price tag as well. That's <laughs> going to be interesting. When, you know, the, and it starts from, it's probably going to be 5,000, <laughs> I'd have thought, given that the iMac yeah. Pro has almost set the, the line of 5,000 now is like pro desktop minimums. Um, don't know. be interesting to see what that comes out at. But I um, I put a, a thing in our show notes a little while ago about potential topics, and one of them was about Apple's pricing. Yeah. And about how there seems to be a lot of reaction these days about, oh, you know, Apple's too expensive and all that kind of stuff. Well, I was watching old um, sort of Steve Jobs keynote videos on YouTube and I mean these are from years ago some of them when they first introduced the uh, cinema display yep and yeah the the 30 inch cinema display back then was $3,299 wow okay yeah um, I forget when that was it was I mean it was well over 10 years ago 15 years perhaps so that 3299 was worth a lot more back then than it is now as well but I, I, part of me thought if apple come out of their pro level display at 3299 there'll probably be gasps in the audience it's like wow that's expensive but yeah they've been doing this for years now <laughs> um yeah you know similarly the 17 inch power book i was watching I, I mean, that's how old it is the power book that's before they even called it MacBook. um 17 inch power book 3299 uh Remember the twelve inch power book? Yep. Seventeen ninety-nine. Um you know, the fifteen inch power book started at nineteen ninety-nine and you could spec it to twenty-five ninety-nine if you go up to the second tier. Um and then they did a titanium power book, twenty-five ninety-nine and thirty-four ninety-nine. I mean, these are big numbers. And this is from yep. years ago. And it just kind of made me think, well, actually, are the prices that high? when you compare and contrast it to that and look at what we get now in terms of value from these devices. Mm. Um, I don't know. I just keep hearing a lot of narrative lately about, you know, Apple's too expensive and they're alienating customers and, and, you know, they had to adjust their profit forecasts because, you know, they're probably too expensive and people aren't going to take it anymore, that kind of thing. Yeah. I I, I would agree with the Mac. I would agree with the Mac in terms of what you've just said and, and kind of if you compare and adjust for inflation and that sort of stuff, then, you know, they're certainly no more expensive than they've ever been, I guess, in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. But it's it's little things. It's things like the um, the Mac Mini is is no longer occupying the same sort of space as it used to, and I think people have felt that. And I think the the fact that the the iPhone ten kind of started to sort of push that envelope for for how much a phone can cost, and so. You know, I mean, you, you end up with a situation like the uh, the the 10R starts to look like the, the cheaper version of the flagship phone, but it's actually, if you compare the cost of it, um, it's where the old flagship used to be. 
<laughs> yeah, fair enough. So it's, it's, it's that side of stuff I think people are reacting to. Uh, but certainly on the on the Mac, yeah, you, you compare the the original Mac prices as it were from back when to now and adjust for inflation, and they have always been expensive. And, and that's actually a reflection of where computing itself has gone as well, because comparatively, PCs were also you know in in a similar sense that same level of expense um obviously there's a gap between mac and pc pricing and i'm I'm not going to get into the apple tax and all that sort of stuff but yeah it's to do with the fact that um computing itself has become cheaper for for more over time um hmm. yeah so it just I gave me know. pause, I, I guess, with that 17-inch PowerBook at thirty-two ninety-nine because um, I've just gone on to an inflation calculator. And 2003 was when that launched. Yeah. And in today's dollars, that would be $4,532. Yeah. So imagine if they were, I mean, basically this 16-inch is kind of being rumoured to be like, you know, this is your 17-inch, but it's 16 to 16.5, so more or less the same size if that, if that comes out at 4500 i mean it's almost like i imagine there'd be like riots in the street outside of the convention center if that would be the case <laughs> um so yeah it's just it's, it's interesting i think because yeah if you were to listen to the narrative in the news you might think that apple are pricing themselves out of the market and alienating people but you could argue in this case the prices have actually come down but then the trouble is, with anything with pricing, it's, it's all in, in your head, a lot of it, isn't it? Um, yeah. Kind of like anchorage and things like that. So it, what what you become used to it has a has a big impact, I think, on your on the perception of value and, and price and things. But, and it depends yeah. on what else is in the range as well. So if, if you think about what they've done recently with the updates to the iPad, for example. So we've got an updated I, iPad mini. Uh, there's the last year's 9.7 still there um, at sort of the lower lowest end of the scale, uh, and then the, there's also um, they're also all able to now use the original pencil. So these were pro features, and these were things that you had to pay considerably more to be able to access just a year before. And so the, there's there's a range there, and you can still pay you know double that more than that for for the pro models of ipad but if you've not got that money or you want to be at the lower end of the scale you can still access some of the technology and you can still play and that's part of the range i think that that sort of felt like it was missing um just before the the last year's 9.7 inch so just before then i would have said that um, the ipad range was sort of feeling quite top heavy um and and that the iPad Mini 4 kind of didn't really make sense in its pricing point and where with the space it was sort of occupying as it was getting older. Mm. So they've, they've kind of evened that out and leveled that out. And if I look at the the Mac range, um, put to one side the fact that the, the Mac Mini sort of feels like it's um, it's occupying a, a higher price point range now, that that is a thing. Uh, but if you look at the the iMac, they've just updated the, the regular iMacs and so I look at the iMac and I sort of think, well, if I wanted to jump in on the iMac, that that model 
is probably whereabouts I would be. And pricing-wise, you get quite a bit of bang for your buck now and a 5K monitor all in the piece. Um, I don't even need to look at the, the iMac Pro. You know, it, it's over there in the uh, I can't afford it ever kind of category <laughs> of pricing, right? That's fine. That's fine. But I do know that I could have one in the middle of the range. It's probably within my reach at some point or other and be perfectly happy with it. So that's another side of it is is that um, the, 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 the range of offering, if you like, has to be uh, broad enough that, that people are getting value sort of lower down as well in different ways. And you can still up at the spire to having the, the top level machine or whatever. That can still be there. That's the nature of a flagship. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like that. that's one thing with the Mac Pro is that I do wonder if there's going to be something within that that kind of gives something back down to to the middle as well. If not at first, then maybe over time. Well, um, almost like the modularity of it would allow a bare bones version of it. Yeah, uh, the sort of the middle. Well, not the middle. It's it's all going to be expensive, isn't it? But like the the middle of the pro market, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, it's kind of why I'm wondering. And uh, we've talked about this before, and, and I. I had a theory along the, along the lines of maybe the Mac Pro isn't necessarily about a, a singular machine. Maybe it's about uh, a chassis or some sort of technology that several different Macs can be used with. Maybe it's something that the Mac Mini can kind of slot into or be connected to in some fashion. You know, maybe with the, the Mac Pro, the base machine, if you like, is a beefed up Mac Mini, but then the modularity is is the system you can connect that to that then gives you an eGPU and lots of drive storage and that side of things. And if they did that in a way that let regular Mac minis kind of play as well, then it means people in that middle space, like, like myself, uh, could potentially look and go, well, I'll go in with the mini because that's what I can afford. And that chassis is my next upgrade within 18 months to give me a sort of mid-level pro, if you like. Um, and I'm not going to gain anything back in terms of speed, but I get the connectivity, I get the access to an eGPU and all of those sort of things. Um, it's a big wish. You know, on my part, that's me sort of... Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I'd like a way to get on the platform. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, that that might be part of it. That might be how they, they broaden it out. And Possibly. that might be how they get more of those chassis sort of out there into the world or, or whatever the modularity is. Yeah, I guess I come back to what Sean said when uh, he was on the show in that they'll launch it and they'll say the price and we, you know, the, the regular folk will freak out and be like, oh, that's way too much money. But then the people that actually want it and can afford it will be like, great, I'll have 10 because mm. I need, it, I need yep. it for my work and it'll earn its money back. Because um, I think once you get into like the, the the pro market, um, like the real pro market, because <laughs> it's, it's, it's the use of the word pro is difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, d- me as, as a developer who spends most of the day in Xcode, do I really, really need a, a Mac Pro? Probably not. You know, I can make no. do with a MacBook, absolutely fine. So am I a pro? That's, how do you define pro? Um, I mean, yeah, you could say I'm a pro because I'm using it for work, but... I could probably make do on a 12-inch MacBook if push came to shove. Um, yeah. Whereas if I was like a physicist or a chemist and I was running these simulations, uh, you know, huge amounts of data flowing through a system, then 
that's when I start to think that's probably who the Mac Pro is for. Or if you're doing like, you know, 3D graphics, you know, making, you know, movie visualizations, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, where big money's at stake. That I think is the Mac Pro customer. And, and where big money can just buy it or pay for the rental or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, that market probably isn't price sensitive. Not really. Um, so yeah, Apple probably is going to charge a lot for it and the people that want it will just buy it and the rest of us will freak out. But we're the ones that are freaking out probably aren't the ones that are actually going to end up buying it anyway. <laughs> so, um, I, I don't know. I'd be, I would, I would like to, what you're saying sounds really appealing. Um, but, yeah, might be a bit of a wish, I think. <laughs> I think it probably is. Um, I, I yeah. guess I come at this from a, a an angle of them trying to sort of um, to put a block on the Hackintosh market and that end of stuff. But until that's completely locked out in some form with, with ARM-based Macs or whatever it is, then that's always going to be a, a potential market. Yeah. So... Yeah, and I don't think Apple particularly care because I think actually Hackintosh is a, a good gateway onto the platform anyway for a lot of people. Yeah, that's true. And interestingly, the new um, iMacs don't have T2 chips, which I kind of expected they would. I thought Apple was on a train now where basically anything that's new gets a T2 chip. Mm. And then, say, three years down the road, um, they can say our latest operating system is only going to support Macs with T2 chips, and then that's Hackintoshing done, essentially. Unless someone yeah. really clever can find a way to emulate a T2 chip in software somehow and fool the OS, but I'm not sure I would. If I was going to build a Hackintosh, I wouldn't want to spend all that money on a machine, knowing that it's going to be a constant cat and mouse of Apple with trying to figure out how to trick them that you've got a T2 chip in a machine that doesn't have one. That I'm not sure I would yeah. make the investment in one if that were the case. Um, but yeah, the iMac didn't get one, and I guess that's because it still has a spinning disk hard drive in one of its configurations. And I think the T2 uh, is kind of SSD only. Possibly. So it, can, so it can only go into ranges of devices that, like the MacBook Pros that have SSDs from top to bottom in the range. So wireless... It, it could Sorry, also have been the, the easier um, option to just bump it with the existing design. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's that's another another thought of it, I suppose. Um, and then that that would explain that as well. Um, you know, still carrying on with a, with an HD spinning disk drive at the the lowest end, uh, which I still feel is a bit weird into the, in twenty nineteen. But hey, well, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't yeah. feel great about it either. But what are you going to do? Um, yeah, it does that, does that still rubs me up the wrong way? It really does. But. <laughs> Have you um have you seen Lewis Rossman on YouTube? I haven't. I, I watch very little YouTube. Fair enough. Yeah, so um I guess to briefly explain, I've been looking at um essentially I've been in my work, I've been lately seeing a lot of repairs that you know, hardware repairs is kind of what I'm dealing with in my day job at the moment. And a lot of the time you see things like motherboard failures, you see like Wi Fi cards breaking, and it's it's a very it's a very like throwaway society kind of feeling about it in the, yep. if someone comes in and they're like, well, I've got water damage or, oh, you know, you diagnose it as a motherboard failure, especially in a laptop. It's like, well, you know, probably time to start looking at a new laptop because the cost to repair it, blah, 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 blah. And by the time you've done all that, 
you spent X amount and then you're still left with a five-year-old machine that's you know got the performance of five years ago, whereas you could just buy something new. Um, and it's always made me a little bit uncomfortable, really. But, you know, what, what can you do? Um, sort of the basic laws of economics is that if it's going to cost loads of money to repair this motherboard um, versus just swapping out a new one when they're cheap enough, then that's what you do, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. But I've been, um, the last few weeks, I found this guy on YouTube called Lewis Rossman um, quite late to the party because it seems like he's got almost a million subscribers and it's kind of all over YouTube (laughs) in quite a big way. But essentially he's doing board level repairs on MacBooks. And I've been watching his videos. Essentially he'll just, if you send him a, you can post it. He's in New York. I could say if I spilt coffee all over this MacBook, I could post it to him and he'd repair it for me. And I just kind of thought, how awesome is that really? Because it's almost my, my gut reaction is to be like, well, you've had water damage. It's you need a new motherboard. Whereas he takes the view of, Oh, you've had water damage. So some water's got onto this capacitor and some corrosion has occurred. So I'll get my soldering iron and just quickly take off that capacitor from the motherboard, clean up the board a little bit with some light alcohol and solder you on a brand new capacitor done. And then the map, works again. And it's um, just kind of got me thinking really about the whole right to repair thing because there has been uh, an instance where I think last year he got on uh, like a news channel in America or or Canada it might have been where the news station um, basically sent someone to the genius bar and said oh hey my MacBook screen won't come on and of course the Apple store like well it's probably going to need a new motherboard or a new this or a new that and I think the quote was like $1,200 and then they take it down to Lewis Rossman and he's like, oh, it's it's just this cable that's loose. And I've just fixed it. And I wouldn't even charge a customer for that kind of thing. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't think too badly of Apple for that. Because if you think about it, it's a, Apple's a big machine. They've got a lot of different people. And yeah, there's going to be, inevitably, there's going to be some sort of, some people are going to be better than others. And when you, you know, depends who you kind of get at the genius bar as to maybe the level of uh, diagnosis that you get. But yeah, fair enough. They that was a slip up, I would say. But yeah, it just got me thinking about the whole the whole right to repair. Um, and I, I'm just curious to see what, what what your feelings on it are. But I, I think that certainly my attitude until very recently has has been very much like, oh yeah, X component has died, as in the whole motherboard is dead. You need a new one. Yes. Whereas this is kind of made me realise actually, no, the whole motherboard isn't dead. 99% of that motherboard is perfect. It's just one circuit and it's one part of that circuit that's died. And if you trace it through with your multimeter and figure it all out, actually it's just that capacitor right there and you can fix it for like $4 if you put a soldering iron to it. Mm. <laughs> actually, my MacBook Pro features on his channel quite a bit because mine's the one, obviously, as I said earlier, my graphics card has, has died. Yeah. So I've I've locked it out and I'm using the integrated one. And yeah, he's done quite a few videos on it actually. And it's it's again, it shows how wrong I was. I've just assumed my graphics card is dead. My graphics card is fine. Apparently it's uh, a capacitor on the board that's the problem um, that's causing the kernel panicking. So he's got some videos up there that show you how to replace that capacitor. He'll even sell you the capacitor if you want it because he's got his own store. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, my my temptation at the moment is when I get this new MacBook sorted out, and you know I don't need the one I'm on now. Kind of tempted to take it to bits and try a bit of uh, try a bit of soldering iron repair work on it because it'd be quite interesting, I think. 
It would, yeah. Certainly, if you could fix that issue, you know, just with a, a bit of bit of effort and a bit a bit of careful soldering, that that could be could be quite cool. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I trust myself with a with a soldering iron at this point, though. Um, I've tried soldering XLR connectors in the past. Yeah, um, it didn't necessarily go well for me. I've got to be honest, but <laughs> Get a bit of practice in first. Maybe I'll practice uh, on a, on on some other stuff before I go near a, a Mac logic board, but. Yeah, just um, yeah, yeah. Just, it just kind of kind of shook me a little bit just seeing it actually because like for years it's it's always been that attitude of oh it's dead buy a new one or just swap the whole part whereas most of that whole part is fine in the context of yeah. a motherboard. Yeah, and and that's that, that is quite quite cool. Um, it's quite cool to be able to to do those sort of repairs. I think there's that trade off, isn't there? Like for you know for most people, learning to solder is a bridge too far. Yeah, you know they're never going to do that. Um, and then learning how to trace stuff through—that's that's also going to be another another skill. But it it feels like that the drive is to to kind of cut that end of stuff out as well from Apple from the way things are built. You know, if you look at like the iFixit kind of scores on on new Macs and and how well they rate them for sort of repairability, they're they're not getting any better. You know, there's yeah. no drive to kind of make them more repairable, and certainly not user serviceable. Uh, I'm I'm not sure how far things can go before there is no ability to to sort of do this kind of DIY repair at all. I guess as yeah. long as there's surface mounted components you can access and and you know desolder and take off, then there's a potential of being able to do that sort of repair. I guess everything becoming onto one board and that that side of stuff probably makes it a little bit more difficult over time, depending on how sort of integrated things are. Yeah, I mean, looking at looking at how he does it on his videos, he was like swapping out entire chips and you know things like right. that. There was one chip that had gone wrong. He was like, "Oh yeah, I'm seeing a weird voltage reading on pin two of this chip," and so I'll. He goes, it's a fairly standard chip, even though it's on a MacBook logic board. It's made by like Texas Instruments, and I've got a spare one here. And gets his heat gun, right. pulls one off, puts a new one on, fixed. It's 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 really cool. Um, gotcha. I think you're right though in what you say. In that you know, regular people such as myself, I, I wouldn't particularly want to go near any Mac of any value with a soldering iron for fear of breaking it. But yeah. I think that. The bigger companies, it's not just Apple. Um, you know, there's lots of big companies like this that you know don't really want unauthorized repair centers working on stuff. But I think what I would like to see in the long term, and it's probably going to take a long time for this to happen, and it will probably be sort of as a result of legislation if it ever does happen. But I, w- I would like to see people like Lewis Rossman be able to go to Apple and be like, "Hey, can I have a?" palette of macbook batteries or can i have a load of chips or can i have a load of this and a load of that like components that are you know authorized components so that you know people have got the option to go to someone like lewis and have your macbook repaired because you know if Mm. if kind of the attitude you're going to get from the genius bar is oh well it's going to be 1200 dollars for a new this and a new that it's like well is it though um and even if it is 1200 dollars for a new macbook uh, new, not not new about it. if it's twelve hundred dollars for a new like motherboard. Say the issue you've got is that the motherboard has soldered to it the SSD and the RAM and the CPU and the GPU. So that one part then becomes really expensive and is essentially the whole machine if it fails. Yeah. So having somebody that is willing to do 
component level repairs on a board where you know rather than the motherboard has failed it is no there is this one circuit and this one part within that circuit on the motherboard that's failed and i can swap out the component quite easily for you yeah i think that's that's great and i think as consumers i would love to have that option i mean i've only got to think about the car um we bought the car from the like a main dealer and they were like oh yeah come back and have it serviced by us and you know i mean you're getting on towards a hundred pounds an hour for labor from a dealer like that. Um, now with cars, it's reasonably easy to go to a, like a third party repair place, which is what we do. There's no way I'm paying dealer prices. Um, it's like, once you find a decent mechanic, that's like a third party mechanic, you want to stick with that mechanic. And Mm. I'd almost like there to be that kind of environment and sort of ecosystem for, uh, you know like component level repairs on, on macbooks and things because um, i'm sure there must be so much stuff that goes to waste into landfill that or not landfill but i'm sure they recycle a lot of it but it's still waste isn't it essentially if that if 98 yeah. of that motherboard is fine but it's deemed as dead because one little part is is busted um, i think that's a that's a real shame i mean one of his videos it was uh the th- like a thunderbolt chip literally like blew up kind of thing inside on the motherboard it has almost bubbled and the board had bubbled around it because of the heat it generated yeah and he was like well it's not a lot i can really do to fix it i mean the board is literally bubbling around where all the circuitry and the chip is yeah. so he's like well what we can do we can save the whole board and i'll just desolder the thunderbolt circuit and the mac will be without thunderbolt but the customer's happy enough for that they never use it anyway and once he ripped out all the circuitry for that obviously it got rid of all the shorting that was going on because those failed components had been removed and it booted up no problem at all right it's just kind of every time i see something like that i'm just like that is flipping awesome isn't it yeah yeah i I love that i love that i think that's um really quite awesome and that that side of that sort of repair is something that yeah i would like to exist because like you say so much going into landfill that doesn't just doesn't need to go into landfill straight away and that feels wasteful to me on on you know every, every level and and i hate that it's, it's the same sort of stuff we were talking about earlier on in terms of you know my machine is running slow for what i'm using it for but it's still a perfectly good machine for a lot of people for a lot of uses even at six years old and i think i would like there to be more of an ecosystem around computing and that sort of repair simply because we could then extend usability and lifespan uh, for so much longer. And then that means that technology is much more accessible to people at um, at the very lowest end of the spectrum as well as these sort of things are, are cheaper and more accessible. Um, that, that can only be a good thing. It's a good thing for users. It's a good fit thing for general you know, everyday people accessing computing and, and being able to to still have a computer and, and all of that. Um, it's not very good for the the manufacturers who have got models built around that sort of two to three year upgrade cycle, I guess. Yeah. Um, that's, that's where it does sort of become something that I could see legislation being the sort of stick to make that happen. Uh, yeah. But I'd like I mean, to see it happen in any case. Yeah, it's... Um made me wonder as well you know obviously when you buy a mac at the moment the kind of the common wisdom is well you got to max out your storage that you can afford when you buy it because you can't upgrade it later because it's soldered down it's like well fairly certain if you ask lewis rossman and he, he could probably solder you a, 
and like a load of new like memory chips onto the board or whatever um yeah so, that's interesting <laughs> you know um i mean i've seen videos on youtube of um uh channels called strange parts you should check it out if you've never seen it um this guy um scotty lives out in uh shenzhen in china and he one of his little projects he set himself was can i buy like a 16 gig iphone and then go and buy some higher capacity memory chips desolder it all and you know get myself like a 256 gig iphone or whatever for you know hardly any money I mean, it took him a few attempts because the whole point of it was that he was <clears throat> learning how to solder and like solder chips to the board, which is significantly harder than a single like resistor or whatever. Yeah, um, but he did it, and the phone booted up, and it's like, yep, there's all your storage. It's there. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of when you <laughs> you know reduce it to component level, it's kind of like yeah, you swap one thing out, put another in, it it should work. Um, but then again, that's going to probably affect the. <laughs> the buying decisions of potential Mac customers when it comes to if they know they can upgrade through someone else later, like you say, it kind of goes against the model that Apple have got. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is going to have to be legislation. I think that moves the needle on this issue, but I'm, I'm excited for it, put it that way. And it kind of part of me is like, Oh, shall I buy a soldering iron and get into this stuff? You know, start buying old broken MacBooks off of eBay and try and fix them up kind of thing. But yeah. So this one, one of those rabbit holes where <laughs> probably a little bit of knowledge is dangerous for me right now with, with, with that. Okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button, that will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFR Podcast and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DW Roboheads. That's Roboheads spelled with a Z. And you can find my apps at Roboheads.com. Again, that's Roboheads spelled with a Z. How about you, Dave? You can follow me online at davenot.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at underscore davenot. 